This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the latest Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm Matt Addison, your host today with Guy Clark away. Just like Hayden Mullins at Watford, I've been drafted in for the last couple of matches of the season. There was no Liverpool game this weekend, but there are still plenty of Reds talking points to get our teeth into. And so to do just that, I have alongside me for this episode of the podcast, our Liverpool correspondents, both home and away, Paul Dorst, and also Joe Rimmer. Gents, how are we getting on? Not bad, not bad. Uh, busy week ahead, but uh, can't complain, can you, when you're, uh, you're reporting on Liverpool lifting the first league in 30 years? Yeah, same. Uh, I was impressed with that slick intro, Matt, coming in at the last minute, but that was um, Guy. Guy would be proud when he listens to this back. I'm sure he'd be very pleased with you. Yes, I'll be uh, expecting a text off Guy later this afternoon. Uh, but we will get yeah. on with the, the podcast then. Probably the, the best place for us to start is, of course, that Premier League trophy lift to come at Anfield on Wednesday night. Gorsty will come to you first. I mean, first of all, what do we know so far about what the club have got planned? They are keeping keeping quite a quite a tight wrap on this, to be honest, which means I'm quite excited to see what they've got. Um, got to one by on Wednesday night. We know that Sir Kenny Daglish is going to be in attendance with the Premier League CEO Richard Masters. Um, looks like he's going to be involved in the handing over of the medals. It's kind of like a bit of a almost like a change in the guard, if you like, with him being the most recent manager to have won the, the league championship with Liverpool, passing it on to, to Klopp, who's now you know become the latest to do that so um they, they'll be there they've obviously got the podium on the cop they've kind of taken out a couple of rows on the cop and, and put the podium in which i much you must admit when i was down in anfield for the burnley game i didn't actually see that but i've seen that uh, bbc journalist conor mcnamara had tweeted the, the picture of the cop so um it sounds like they, they've got quite a few things planned considering the fact that there's going to be no fans in attendance to witness it they're almost going to have to try a little bit harder to manufacture something that's a little bit special because you'd only need 54,000 supporters in Anfield for that to be a, an iconic moment and, and something that will live on forever. But now, with no supporters being there and, and supporters having to watch you know, from their armchairs in front of the TVs, they're going to have to do something a little bit different. And I'm excited to see what it is. I, I was speaking to Curtis Jones on, on Friday and, and he almost told me a couple of plans and then had to stop himself short and said, oh, I'm not, don't, I think I'm, I'm not supposed to say anything. And... Um, heading up to Anfield later today for some content later in the week and the very strict provisions over what we can do in terms of putting on social media and stuff. So they're, very, uh, they're working very hard to make sure that this is a big moment for supporters um, and obviously themselves because they've worked so hard for it. So uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how it looks. I suppose that's the, the point, Joe. It's uh, an opportunity after a really difficult season in which Liverpool have been so good for them to sort of sit back and, and relish the achievement that they've had this season. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's been a crazy season, hasn't it? You know, I, I, there's, there's been none like it in our lifetime. There probably won't be another one again. So so it's, it's nice for Liverpool to finally enjoy this moment, for the players to enjoy this moment. Because it's been strange, you know, since they've come back. They won it so early. It's almost like the last few games haven't really been that enjoyable. You know that this should just be now. They should just be playing out this season, and and there should be no pressure. But it seems like you know that they've lost a couple of games, and, and people are getting on their backs a little bit. So this should just be a special moment for them to enjoy, and um, can't wait to see it. You know, can't wait to see those people. You know, of course, the same. You know, waited our entire lifetime to see to see Liverpool lift the league title, and you know there were times when you you were close to giving up hope. So. Yeah, can't wait to see Henderson lift that trophy and 
it's, it's going to be a special moment. It's going to be a special moment, of course, for, for all of the players, Paul. But I suppose for Jordan Henderson in particular, as Liverpool captain, after so long, it's going to be an iconic moment that Liverpool fans, and, and rightly so, are going to remember for a long, long time to come. Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think he'll be a little bit disappointed the fact that he's not actually fit enough to be involved in the game itself. Um, but once, once it's full time, he'll he'll get on the on the podium, and I think he's actually got a knee brace on at the moment, so I'm not sure whether the famous Hendo shuffle will be present. But um, great moment for him. He's he's you know his story is well documented, isn't it? I mean, he's been at Liverpool nearly ten years now, and, and we'll be doing a testimonial soon. So for him to kind of almost come full circle from you know a a youngster who's struggling at times to break into the team and, and not everyone was sure of what he could do. To be in the captain who's not only won the um, won the Premier League with them, he's won the Champions League and, and the club's first ever Dub World Cup and, and obviously the Super Cup thrown in too. So it's been a, an incredible 13 months for him and um, I think he thoroughly deserves all of the calls that he's getting at the moment to, to make him player of the year because what he's done off the pitch on top of driving Liverpool to this title where they've run away with it. Um, it's just been an incredible season for him from a personal point of view. So um, he deserves that moment on Wednesday night and, and good luck to him. The Football Writers Association Player of the Year Award, Joe, I think is to be announced on Friday. And personally, I'm torn between Kevin De Bruyne, Sadio Mane and Jordan Henderson for the seasons that they've had. Where do you sit on that debate? Well, I'm biased, but like Paul, I just think that, I think it's about, you know, I don't know. I, I look at it as in it's not just performances on the pitch, which Henderson's have been very, very good. But you know, I, I think it's about achievements. It's about he's led this team. He's been he's captain this Liverpool team. He's played very well on the pitch, and the things he's done off it since this crisis, um, they deserve credit. He's he's showed himself to be not just a fantastic football player, but a, a brilliant leader, an inspirational captain, and um, and off the pitch a, a very thoroughly decent bloke as well. So. I, I think it deserves to be him. I think it would be fitting. Um, and, you know, you think back to when, say, Ryan Giggs won it, and a lot of people complained and said, oh, you know, perhaps he didn't deserve to win it. But it was about just being on the pitch. It was about leading Man United to a title. And I think this is the same for, for Henderson. So, um, you know, I, I, I think he does deserve it. And I think if you think back to earlier this season, he was brilliant. He was inspirational. The, the games like the Tottenham game where he, he scored. And and, and he, he has he's led Liverpool to this title and been as important, if not more important than anyone. So I think he would deserve it. But then again, if, if Mane or, or De Bruyne win it, I wouldn't I wouldn't complain because both of them are fantastic. You know, Liverpool have got a fair few candidates themselves. We shouldn't overlook Salah. You know, whatever you might think, he's had another fantastic season. Um, Trent, excellent. Robertson, brilliant. Van Dijk, brilliant. You know, you can go through the team, can't you? So... For me, it's Henderson, but there's, 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 there's many outstanding candidates and I don't think I'll complain whoever gets it. Yeah, I suppose that's the important thing to remember, isn't it? That Liverpool have got plenty of good players, but Gorsty fans do love signings and Michael Owen this morning saying that Liverpool should really be happy with the squad they have. They don't need squad players, but if an opportunity comes about to bring in a game-changing signing, they should do it. I suppose finances obviously being the, the big question there, that does seem a fairly sensible approach from him. Yeah, possibly. I'm not sure <clears throat> where this game changer can come into this Liverpool team. Um, how much of the game would, would they change? I'm not sure. Um, I, I mean, personally, I, I do think Liverpool do need uh, one or two kind of squad additions. I think I think an outlet left back 
is a little bit of a priority now because um, when Andy Robertson doesn't play, um, there's Adam Lewis who's just signed a new contract. I don't think he's he's had a, a senior start as he other than maybe the shoes for game in the FA Cup, which was a, a bit of a caveat to that. Gastelarucci looks like he could be moving on. James Milner is a 34 year old midfielder, and Joe Gomez would be shunted out there in in a position he hasn't played for for five years. So a left back for me would be something that they should be looking at. Um, as I would have liked a um, another addition to the front line, um, but we, we, I mean, we can't overlook the fact that the financial problems that will be suffered across the entire sport due to of what's happened over the last few months. And I do think a lot of people are, are kind of a bit blasé about that, and because they don't they don't see the, the figures, then they think that it's not really there. But the bill been paying out a wage bill, which is one of the biggest in the sport, so three hundred and ten million, uh, without earning the penny between March and June. Around about 77 million on wages and a further 25 since the return of, of action last month. On top of that, they're losing about three million pounds per home game because they've got no, no fans allowed in. They've got a TV rebate that they'll have to be um, forking out for soon as well. So it's not as simple as as uh, just digging into a transfer war chest. And I think sometimes that is overlooked. But in a normal ideal world, uh, I would be looking at a replacement left back or a, an, an additional left back and, and someone across that front line. And Joe, your thoughts on, on Michael Owen's comments? You know, as, as Gorsley says there, Liverpool don't need, you know, huge changes to be made, but I suppose fans are, are always going to want somebody to come in, whether or not that is needed or not, almost. Yeah, like Gorsley was saying, I, d- I don't quite see where Michael Owen refers to this sort of game-changer, where that game-changer fits in. And, and I mean, Liverpool have got game-changers, haven't they? And, and the first 11 is pretty much nailed down, but... I do think they need fresh blood. And I think the last few games have sort of confirmed that just a, a bit of fresh blood might might kick them on a little bit. So um, they definitely need the left-back now. I, I don't want to see them re- relying on Milner as a, a second-choice left-back. They definitely need a player there. And um, I would have liked to see someone come across the front three. I, I think yeah, uh, Divock Origi, whether he's just gone a little bit stale at Liverpool now, Jadon Shaqiri has, has, has had a really poor season. So those sorts of players who were great alternatives for, say, 18 months are now looking like, you know, they could be refreshed. So whether they move on and then Liverpool look for other players. And, and look whether those players come from, uh, as Klopp suggested before, internally. Um, Rian Brewster, I mean, I, I haven't seen full games of him, but some of the highlights from, from what he's doing at Swansea, he, look, he looks like he's having a good time there. Looks like he's starting to show that he is a very good finisher. Um, Harry Wilson, of course, had a good half a season, at least with Bournemouth. So, you know, perhaps there are internal players that can come in, but I would like to see one or two signings. I, th- I think I think they could do it a freshen it up, but I don't see it as being a marquee signing or a game changer, as, as Michael Owen says. I think it'll be refreshing those players like the Shakiris and the, the Origis who, who've just ran their cycle at Liverpool now and, and, and need to perhaps move on to reignite their own careers and to give Liverpool a bit of fresh blood. We will certainly see what happens, of course. Over the weekend, Gorsty, we've seen the both both of the FA Cup semi-finals at Wembley, both Manchester clubs crashing out. You'd expect both of those teams to spend fairly big in the summer. What do you think we can take from the matches over the weekend in terms of where both of those teams are at now? I think it was maybe a bit of a reality check for Manchester United, who... We're on a, a free scoring run, really, and I think they were unbeaten since that Burnley game, which was game after the one in Anfield in January, I think. 
Um, they were nowhere near Chelsea uh, yesterday. Once again, question marks over David De Gea, who seems to be progressing alarmingly for them. Um, so, don't think they're... I mean, I've I seen quite a few things. I mean, we all know the football now. You're only as good as your last 15 minutes, aren't you, in the social media age? But some of, some of, some of the quotes and comments during this good run was that United were ready to challenge City and Liverpool for the title next season. And knowing near that, um, they should be targeting in the top four, a little bit of a rebuild, um, and kind of continue adding to the squad in the same vein as Bruno Fernandes, who's been a, a, a massive success story for them already. So um, I think there's some way short before they can uh, challenge Liverpool uh, on a regular basis. City, um, the, the laws of... Um, COVID-19 and, and financial fair play seemingly don't apply to, to them, do they? They will spend again and they probably need to. They've lost nine games. Um, they've been knocked out of the FA Cup against the Arsenal side. It's probably one of the weakest of the last 25, 30 years. Um, but they will aggressively enter the market again, I'm sure, and, and that will be a massive challenge for Liverpool to kind of go again. So um, I, th- I, st- I still think it'll be Liverpool and, and uh, City once again next season. And Chelsea um, do seem to be emerging as well, so possibly them for third. But look, it's Liverpool and, and City now, isn't it? It will be for the for a good while yeah, at the top of the Premier League. Yeah, I would certainly think so. I mean, Joe, Chelsea are Liverpool's opponents midweek. They're exactly thirty points behind Liverpool as it stands. Manchester United a point behind them. I'm sure Chelsea will want to to spoil the party at Anfield by becoming the first team to beat Liverpool in the Premier League since April 2017. And they did show over the weekend that they are good, particularly going forward. But how much of a challenge do you think they'll pose, not just this week, but next season as well? Um, next season, it, it, it's difficult to say, isn't it? Both United and Chelsea, again, I, I thought what Dorsey was saying spot on. They remind me of, of where Liverpool were two seasons ago, where they had some really exciting attacking players and they were just trying to find the one or two players that would take them to the next level. So Liverpool found it in Van Dijk and Allison. But how difficult was it for Liverpool to find those players? It, it wasn't easy, and they dealt with problems for a long time. So I do think this idea that Chelsea and United, because of the little bit of form they've had, are suddenly like, you know, going to be close challenges. You said it yourself. Chelsea are thirty points behind. United are thirty-one. It's a massive gap, and you don't make up that gap overnight, and you don't make it up, you know, with one decent run of form. They're going to have to do it. You know, they're going to have to go into the market. They're going to have to find better players, um, and they're going to have to find a better spine. The one thing Liverpool have got, which is better than all these teams, is they've got one hell of a spine. You know, you've got the likes of Allison, Van Dijk, Fabinho, Henderson, and then through to the front three. You know, United have got good players, and so have Chelsea. But I don't think, you know, you look at Chelsea's defence. I'm not sure you'd take any of them over Liverpool. Harry Maguire came in for a world record fee for United, and you know, really, he's, he's he's nowhere near on the level of Van Dijk. You know, those players are now trying to go into the market and make big signings to try and catch Liverpool. They're gambling. Liverpool don't need to gamble. So um, it's almost like, you know, I think you reach the top like Liverpool do. And it gets a bit boring, doesn't it? You know, you're not you're not the flash new thing. And, and Chelsea and United are at the moment. And that's why they remind me so much of Liverpool a couple of seasons ago when Liverpool were brilliant on their day but would have these hiccups where you go away from home and lose to someone that you shouldn't lose to. And until United and Chelsea cut that out, I just don't see them challenging. So they're on the cusp, aren't they? And I think if they get everything right this summer, then they could be challengers next season. But that is easier said than done. And, um, you know, I think good luck to them because they're going to need it. Whereas Liverpool, 
it's just about fine tuning, keeping people together, and you can't see Liverpool losing players. And of course, he says us for City, we just know they will spend again, but they've lost nine games. You know, it's a hell of a lot of games to lose in the Premier League. Um, you know, again, it's not going to be easy for them in a difficult market to close that gap. You know, they can spend as aggressively as they want. Nine games is a lot of games to lose. There's clear, there's clear weaknesses there. So, um, you know, again, I think you'd much rather be in Liverpool's position where you're looking down on them and, and just trying to fine tune. So, um, but Chelsea are the, of those three sides, Chelsea are the side that I like. I think Lampard seems to be a bright young manager. They seem to be buying, making clever signings. Werner, you know, there's some reports now this morning about Havertz. Um, um, Hakim Zayic looks a decent player. They, they seem to be buying the right types of players and they've got some young players there. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. But look, you know, they're still, they're still a long way behind Liverpool for the time being. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, one player who's impressed me recently, Paul, is Christian Pulisic, of course, a player that Liverpool did try and get under Jurgen Klopp. I think they made a bid of around £11 million in, what was it, January 2016, something like that, when Jurgen Klopp had first come into the club. How impressive has he been lately? And, and does that show that Liverpool were, were right to be tracking his progress? Yeah, he seems to be found on his feet up like doesn't he? He's um, kind of taken it up at a level in recent weeks. Um, yeah, I've been impressed. I, I thought, thought he was... a a very good player when Liverpool played Dortmund in, in the pre-season friendly in 2018. I think he came off the bench and completely changed the game. And you could see what he was all about. He just seemed to have that extra yard of pace that took him away from players. Um, not too dissimilar to, to Eden Hazard, who Chelsea actually lost to Real Madrid. So you could see the, the joined-up thinking there of him being a, a Hazard-esque replacement. Um, yeah, I mean, Klopp, Klopp knows him, doesn't he? I mean, I don't, I don't think Pulisic played for too long on the Klopp, but, but there was... You know, a relationship there, and you could see why Klopp thought that he was going to be a, a star of the future. Um, unfortunately, it didn't come off for Liverpool at the time, and he's ended up moving to Chelsea a few years later for around about 40 million more than what Liverpool offered, which kind of showed how he developed at Dortmund. Yeah, I, I think he he um, will continue to, to develop and, and settle at Chelsea. And as Joe says, that he'll be another reason why they're going to be pushing Liverpool and, and, and City more than anyone else next season um, I think they're building a, a decent young squad there and um, and if you know a couple of transfer windows down the line they might be able to, to seriously challenge but um, I do think it will be a big two for, for the foreseeable future and looking ahead then to, to Wednesday night specifically, Roberto Firmino, of course, Joe, looking for his first home goal of the league season, his last chance to get that. Dan Kay wrote a really interesting piece over the weekend looking into that. And of course, Firmino does offer a lot more than just goals, but I suppose at the same time, he'll want that run to end sooner rather than later. And he won't want to go a full campaign without scoring. Yeah, I mean, I thought that was a cracking piece from Dan. If, if you haven't read it, go, go and have a look. He, he calls him Liverpool's cleverest player since Kenny Dalglish. And, and to be honest, I, I see where he's coming from. I, I, again, you take Firmino out of this Liverpool team and they just don't play as well. And, and he's, a, he's a strange player, isn't he? Because he's almost a problem. Because you think, ah, when Liverpool go and look for, for different players, they just don't look as good. So maybe it's a, a system change that, that they need to do when he's not in the team. But as you say, I, I think he needs to... to to get back scoring at Anfield because um, I think John Aldridge said in a column a couple of weeks back that he does think it's mentally, he does think that, that there'll be something in the back of his mind that'll mean he'll snatch at chances and, you know, he'll be well aware of it. it it's a 
it's a strange record that in the in the grand scheme of things means nothing, doesn't it? You know, if he scored, you know, there was there was one about Salah, wasn't it? He scored twice, I think, on the road um, before the Brighton game, and ultimately Liverpool are champions. So, so what does it matter if Firmino doesn't score at Anfield on Wednesday night? Doesn't it hasn't really hurt Liverpool's chances? But at the same time, you don't want things like that to get into players' heads and it's a rumble on and rumble on. So it would just be good to get him. Get him a goal, and you know if they get there are a couple of goals up, and they get a penalty. Get him on it. Get that. Get that broken, and, and get him back um, confident again. But he's a cracking player. It doesn't take anything away from him. And I think if you don't watch him every week, you perhaps don't appreciate his talents. So um, you know the, the the wider audience maybe might think that's an issue, but I think Liverpool fans will know full well that Firmino's integral to everything Liverpool do, and um, will continue being. So I'm not too worried about it. But yeah, I would like him to get that monkey off his back. Do you think it is a mental thing, Paul, or is there something else there that, that might be stopping him? I mean, Firmino doesn't strike me as someone who, who, who struggles um, with that type of thing. He's very very flamboyant and, and carefree and doesn't really seem like he's going on thinking, oh, I still haven't got still haven't got that goal that I'm feeling because of other things that he contributes. And um, he also strikes me as someone who probably, as soon as that final whistle goes, he, he's not interested in... in football at all and he's thinking about you know what he, what he can do next so i think that that I'm, I, I don't think that that would weigh on his mind too much but I, it was interesting what, what john aldridge said i mean he he's obviously a died in the wall number nine his knee and, and absolute poacher of a, of a finisher so he, he knows all about when you you're going through a little bit of a barren spell and, and how that can affect you and, and players like michael owen used to do it and, and fernando torres they they go a couple of games without scoring and, and then they find the form and just hasn't really happened for Firmino, and I think he was a bit unlucky in terms of scoring against Atletico Madrid at Anfield in March, and then that was Liverpool's last game until the middle of June, um, where there was no supporters there. So he's been a little bit un- unlucky in that respect. But his goals have been crucial to this this Premier League title winning season away from home. Um, you look at goals against Crystal Palace and Wolves and Tottenham, all decisive winning goals. That there's nine points, you know, that, that could have easily been three on another day. Um, and I can't remember the exact figure, but he has been responsible for, I think it might, might be between 12 and 15 points uh, for Liverpool away from home this season with his winning goals. So it's not, you know, he's not doing an LH juice where he's gone the entire season without scoring a goal and, and he's not contributing anything else. He's, he has, he's weighed in with his fair share, um, just not at Anfield. And to go from Roberto Firmino, one of Liverpool's established front three, to somebody who's trying to, to break through, Joe, Harvey Elliott now, can't make the, the sort of automatic medal uh, total of five appearances this season. He's only played twice, obviously two games left. But I suppose that he'll probably be disappointed not to automatically get a medal at the age of just 17. Shows just how important he could be for Liverpool in the future. Yeah, there was a little Instagram exchange, wasn't there, between him and a, and a, a fan or a troll or whatever you want to call them at the, at the weekend. And I think he, he showed great maturity, really, with, with what he said. He said, it's not about me, it's about the team. I'm not worried. that I'm a fan. I'm just pleased Liverpool have won it. And I, you know, I'm made up for the, my teammates. So I quite liked his response. And I, I think he seems to have his head screwed on. And I, th- I don't think he'd be particularly worried at the end of the day. What did Klopp say? He said that you know anyone who thinks he, he thinks deserves a medal will get a medal. They'll do something for them. So I think Liverpool will look after him. And look, I, you know... I think one of the reasons why maybe Liverpool don't want to go into the market and buy these expensive alternatives is they think, you know, do you go out and buy a, a replacement for, say, Divock Origi and then 
in one season time, Harvey Elliott's banging on the door and, you know, you, you've spent 30 million on a player who arguably is just getting in his way. You know, I, I think he looks talented, doesn't he? You know, ever since he arrived with Elliott, I think he played in the first like League Cup game. I remember seeing him and thinking, you could just tell by his touch and his stature and the way he carried himself. You can always tell with young players there's something about him. And um, and there was something about Elliot immediately that you thought, this lad is special. He's not, you know, he's not just a he's not just a young lad with pace or with a little bit of skill. He's got he's got the lot. So um, you know, I'm excited to see what comes next. And I think Klopp's managed them well. He, he he's put him in here and there. He's he's not overexposed him. You know, there would have been the temptation maybe, like people said after they won the title, to to start throwing him and Elliot and Nico Williams in just. For the sake of it, but he hasn't. He's put them into the odd game, and you know I think we've seen a bit of Williams, we've seen a bit of Elliot. It would be nice now to see, um, to sorry, seen a bit of Jones. It would be nice now to see Elliot play a little bit more. But Klopp won't do it unless he believes that he's ready. So, um, you know I think he's he's got a bright future at Liverpool, and I'm excited to see what's next. Whether whether they decide to loan him or just keep playing him, you know I, th- I think the, the sky's the limit for him, and I think Klopp will know best, but. Yeah, um, really excited to see what comes next. And in terms of decisions then for Jurgen Klopp, we'll move on to our team selections for Wednesday night's game. Gorsty, we'll start with you. Talk us through your goalkeeper and your back four. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it has to change too much, does it? Liverpool have got two games this week, but this is the one where they'll be desperate to kind of put in a response from the performance at Arsenal or the result. And the fact that the sign, they want to sign up for the Flourish show, it's, it has to be close to as full strength as possible for me. So it's Alison Becker in, in goal. And then you're back for the usual? Uh, yeah, it's, it's same, same same thing, really. I mean, that, uh, Trent and Robertson, either side, they, they've got the, the little assist competition still going, haven't they? I think it's 10 to 12 in Alexander Arnold's favour, and Joe Gomez and, and Van Dyke at the back. And Joe, would you go along with that? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't think you'd, you'd mess about with that back four and, and the goalkeeper. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. In midfield then, plenty of options. I'm going to go with Fabinho at the base with Jeannie Wijnaldum and Naby Keita alongside him. I'm not too sure. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain quite did enough against Arsenal to keep his place. Joe, we'll come to you first on this one. What are you going to go for? Do you know what? I, you know, the most frustrating thing about the Arsenal game is I thought for the first 20 minutes... That was Liverpool at their very best. They were they swarmed all over Arsenal. They Arsenal couldn't get the ball out their you know the, their own third of the pitch and and the goal came and it, it looked a matter of time before they get another one and and I, I just thought Liverpool looked accomplished and that that is Liverpool at their best when they they don't let teams breathe when they they're constantly on the front foot they're winning high high up the field so I'd honestly just be tempted to go again it. it the game changed at Arsenal because they made silly mistakes. Um, they made completely random errors that you you don't often see from from players that don't make mistakes. So I don't think Oxley Chamberlain was playing too badly, especially in that early part of the, the game. His pressing looked good. I, I, yeah, I'd be tempted to just go with the same midfield. So Oxley Chamberlain, Wijnaldum, Fabinho, and Paul. Which midfield three are you going for? A little bit of a, of a different one. I'm going to go with Fabinho. I think Keita did enough for the last 25 minutes to show that uh, it's probably been unfortunate to lose his place to begin with. So I'd, I'd put him back in and I'm going to actually go with James Milner with the captain's armband. I think Liverpool have missed, a, missed the leader in Henderson's absence on the pitch. Someone to bark the orders and, and kind of rouse the troops. So 
Milner's the next best thing for that, isn't he, as the vice-captain? And in terms of your front three then, I suppose that takes care of itself. Yeah. I mean, you, you could make a case for Rivakarigi, potentially, and, and Chikiri, who was spotted at the Emirates, wasn't he? Seems to only show up for, for games in North London at the moment for Liverpool. Um, but, yeah, it's got to be got to be the front three. And Joe, would you go along with that, the front three? No chance for, for Harvey Elliott? Uh, no, not at this stage. I just think, you know, you, you want to go out in style, you want to win this game at Anfield. You know, you don't want to lose and then lift the trophy. It, feel, it would feel a bit weird, wouldn't it? So, yeah, I think you want your main front three and, you know, maybe on the final day you can throw Harvey in and give him a go then. Yeah, that's exactly what I would imagine. The final thing then is our match predictions. I'm going to go for a 2-2 draw. I think both sides will score and it could be entertaining. Gorsty, we'll come to you first. What's your score prediction? <clears throat> well, Chelsea are still still chasing it, aren't they? So they'll, they'll want to put in a performance. But so will Liverpool. So I think I think Liverpool might just nick it 2-1. And Joe? Yeah, I'm leaning towards... A one-one draw again. I think I think Chelsea will have a real go, and as as Gorsi said, they've got stuff to play for, haven't they? So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go for a one-one draw. We will see how it pans out. That though is all we've got time for on today's Blood Red podcast. Thanks to you both for joining me. You two at home for listening, and until next time, from all of us here on Blood Red, it's goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.